Hello, I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to another episode of A Winning Mindset, Lessons from the Paralympics, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing partner, Allianz. Together, our aim is for these podcasts to help you move forward in all aspects of your personal and professional lives. By hearing from Paralympic stars, you'll be introduced to stories that inspire and change the way you think. Stories of facing life's challenges with confidence, determination and excellence, and the true power of having the right team behind you. My guest this week is somebody I think you're really going to enjoy listening to. I talked to Irish swimmer Ellen Keane, who was born with part of her left arm missing. She never saw herself as being disabled growing up, but now uses her status as a Paralympian to be a role model, especially to children with similar impairments. We get into that subject later on, but first, a canine distraction. So Ellen, I've been told that if I hear any background noise during this interview, it's going to be your new, I believe, a miniature dachshund in the background. Is that right? Um, he's currently on the floor playing with my foot and he's, <laughs> he's teething at the moment. So uh, he just keeps biting things. It's, it's not great, but uh, he's, he's a cutie. <laughs> As long as he doesn't chew through the cable, we'll, we'll be fine. Oh, yeah. You, you should give the dog a name check. Uh, Denny. Denny! No, he's, he's looking at me, but he's not saying anything. And how much of your time is he taking up? Oh, my God, I feel like a mom. Like, I feel like I have a newborn baby. I have to get up in the middle of the night and let him out and give him a feed. <laughs> <laughs> I am wrecked. It's a good thing Tokyo is postponed because I need, apparently I need these three weeks to let him settle. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> it may be a good size to fit in your suitcase for next summer. Yeah, exactly. So for people who don't know you, Ellen, you're a Paralympic swimmer and you were born with your left arm, it just comes down to around elbow length, doesn't it, with with no hand? Yeah. Do you feel uh, a benefit in some way to have been born with that disability rather than, say, losing your hand in, in, a, in an accident or through illness? I do and I don't because, for one, when it comes to swimming specifically and being a competitor, uh, I've noticed that the athletes who have lost their limbs seem to be better <laughs> in the water. I, it, it's just their biomechanic makeup or something. They seem to understand the strokes better than those who were born without their limbs. But then when it comes to learning how to do things, I, I don't need to really adapt much because I've always had to find another way of doing things. So if I struggle to do something, I don't really get too flustered about it. It's hard when you're a kid and you're born with your disability because you don't really have a story to tell. When people ask me what happened to my arm and I just say, oh, I was just born like this. It's not as interesting to hear rather than like, oh, I was in a shark attack or I was in an accident. <laughs> it's harder for people to understand that sometimes people are born this way. And I find it especially harder talking to kids about it as well, because when I was young, my mom would have always said, oh, God made you that way. And that's not really something that you can say because you don't know people's backgrounds. And at the same time, I'd be quite aware of what do I say not to kind of scar the kid or to scare the kid? So there are pros and cons, but I think, I honestly, I don't know where I'd be today if I was born with two hands. I think I'd be a completely different person. I probably wouldn't be as healthy as I am. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I, I'm similar to you. I was actually born with 
with no hands I've I've been lucky in that like you I've been able to sort of get on with things that I that I want to do I, I've read actually that you you've said on occasion that you don't actually consider yourself to be disabled what what do you mean by that I think the word disabled is a really hard harsh word um it's a word that I found really really hard to associate with for so long because when people think of disabilities they think of things that you can't do like it's an automatic negative thing so it's a word that I struggled to own. I think in recent years I've I've decided to own it a bit more because there's people like me who need me to own it or there's people who are worse off than me who need me to own it. But it's society that makes people disabled. So there aren't many things that I can't do because I can kind of adapt whereas people who need access via a wheelchair or a ramp or visually impaired. Just society hasn't designed things around them. However you live, what environment you live in is really dictates how disabled you are. It's a difficult area, isn't it? I find mm. myself thinking or saying things that actually ruffle feathers with other disabled people. I mean, you know, even my question to you there about sort of saying sometimes that you don't consider yourself to be disabled there might be some people with disabilities out there who hear that and go well you know actually no you, sh- you should be proud of having a disability rather than trying to sort of say that you don't have one I mean you know I, I actually have a great deal of sympathy with your perspective how would you feel about that people sitting listening to this thinking oh well you know Ellen Ellen shouldn't be sort of talking about not having a disability she should be proudly saying she does have one do you know what I mean yeah like I do I do proudly say it now but I think I'm in such a privileged position where I don't really have to second guess things when I go out like I don't need the blue badge for parking I actually was have, telling the story to my friend in a wheelchair as well while I was sitting in his car in a disabled spot and I was like sometimes I do lose control of the door when I open it so say for example if it's windy out the wind might blow the door out of my hand and just as I said that the wind blew the door out of my hand <laughs> and I was like see it's a good thing I wasn't in a normal parking spot because that <laughs> the car beside me would have been gone. I've read interviews with you where you talk about wearing baggy clothes and standing sideways onto people to try and hide your arm. But then you made a conscious decision, I think, as a teenager to stop doing that. What, why did you make that decision and, and, and how, how tough was it to, uh, to kind of change those habits? I'm quite an outgoing person, I like to think. Um, <laughs> but when I was growing up, and it was like from maybe 12 onwards, I became really introverted and I, I hated the fact that people were staring at me. It's an awful feeling to know that people aren't looking at you. They're looking at your arm. They're looking at what what's different about you. And even some of them are giving you disgusted looks. And when you're a kid growing up, it's hard enough being self-conscious maybe about if you have bad skin or your hair or maybe your weight or this is something that I could never, ever change about myself. So the only solution that I could find was to hide my arm. So that's why I wore sleeves and that's why I always had something baggy on or I, w- I had perfected it to a T to make it appear that I had two hands. And the main part of that was if I was quiet and if I was nearly invisible, people wouldn't look at me as much. So they wouldn't have enough time to investigate my arm or investigate the way I'm standing in order to be that quiet invisible girl I I almost had to disappear and I was very I was so unhappy and I was so like 
oh, I'm going to get emotional now. Um, (laughs) I had, like, just convinced myself of all of these, like, unworthy things and all of these. Like, I just felt like I was so unworthy of love. I was just less of a person. I... I was just so afraid of not being good enough. And I I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I had to try and blend in as much as possible and that nobody would accept me if they knew the real me. Um, but when I was swimming, this is where sport came in. When I was swimming, I didn't care. I All I cared about was going fast. And I, I had a taste of what happiness felt like. And I had a taste of what was I was capable of. Um, so... I I knew that I needed to make a change and I kind of knew that I needed to face the fear. Um, But it it only took until I was 19 because when I was 19, I started university or college, like we call it in Ireland. And um, I saw it as a fresh start and like nobody would know me going into college. Nobody knew that I had two hands or one hand. Even the school that I, I finished secondary school in um I was in six six years the final year and I was midway through sixth year and I was waiting for my poetry teacher to come in and one of the boys that I had been friends with for two years was just standing talking to me and he was like what's wrong with your arm and I was like what do you mean what's wrong with my arm and he was like did you break it or something and I was like oh no I I just don't have an arm and he was so shocked like that's that is how good I was at hiding it that I had convinced people I knew for years that I had two hands um and it was that expression that I was so afraid of that reaction that I was so afraid of and it was it was awful to know that the way you are the way your body looks can can make someone that react like that and it's it's awful so when I when I started college I knew that nobody knew me I knew that there wasn't a lie the lie wasn't there the lie wasn't didn't exist yet so it was up to me to make sure that the lie didn't start because once the lie starts it's very hard to get yourself out of that lie so yeah I just (laughs) kind of went in and was like I have no arm, la la la. <laughs> this is so completely normal, like a complete like fake it till you make it mm. scenario. And um, it was really funny because I did a I did a culinary degree as well, so I actually couldn't afford to hide my arm because I was <laughs> I was doing such a dangerous degree that you kind of need to let people know you have one hand. Yeah, people people looked at me or glanced at me and they didn't care. And that was just so reassuring. And it was, just made me realise that it was all in my head. I think often we, we build up people's reactions that they're going to be a lot worse than they actually are. You know, I remember having conversations with people where I'd have to sort of, I, I built it up. Like, I can't ask them for help. I can't ask them for help. And then when I did ask them for help, they were like, well, why didn't you ask me to do this for you, you know, five years ago when we first met? But it's also like, you don't want people to think less of you. No. it's interesting hearing you talking about the clothes because you know as I said I'm sort of similar to you and in terms of my arms and I think you can looking back I can probably track my confidence or my self-esteem by the length of my sleeves over the years (laughs) you know when I was when I was at school they were quite long like yours and looking back I probably was sort of trying to look as normal as I as I could it's really fascinating to hear all that and talk about it with you it really is now I just want to move the conversation on to swimming A couple of minutes ago, you said swimming gave you a taste of happiness. 
how did you settle on that sport as the one you were going to try? And I'm assuming you were approaching it just like everyone else, like all of your friends. Yeah. So because I was born like this, my parents thankfully made the decision as soon as I was born not to treat me any differently. So when my brothers and my sister were learning how to swim, I went to lessons too. So I was really young when that happened. My dad was aware of Paralympics. He got in contact with the manager of the Paralympic swim team at the time. And her daughter had the same arm as me. And she invited me to Northern Ireland for a competition to see if I enjoyed it. And literally I went and I just loved the control. I love being competitive. Um, it turns out I was pretty talented at it. So that's kind of how it began. And I was probably about seven. I mean, your progress was whirlwind, to say the least, because you competed in Beijing at just 13. You know, you were suddenly Ireland's youngest ever Paralympian. I mean, I was struggling. I was just thinking when I was 13, I was struggling to, I don't know, keep up with my homework or <laughs> score a goal at lunchtime in the playground playing football. But you were a Paralympic athlete. How how was it being a Paralympian at that young age? I was still struggling with doing my homework. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't fully appreciate it at the time how bizarre it was being that young at a Paralympic Games because no one treated me any differently. The only difference between me and any of the other athletes was that I had a chaperone. But all the athletes themselves treated me like an athlete. Like I was there to represent my country, to to swim. And that's that's how everyone treated me. So I wasn't really overwhelmed by it at all or any of that. You just don't, things don't affect you as much when you're young. Because you're, you're just kind of living in the moment and you don't worry about things. And I think that's something that I wish I still had. The only time I remember being a little bit afraid or overwhelmed was, I think it was my second race, and I was in the same heat as Natalie Dutois. And Natalie Dutois was my idol. Like She had just competed in Beijing Olympics as well as the Paralympics. And um, she was twice the size of me. And here's just me, little tiny yoke. I do want to talk to you about role models. It's interesting you mentioned Natalie Dutois there. What was it about her that you looked up to uh, particularly? She just stood for all things elite athlete. No one ever looked at her and saw her as disabled. They saw her as a scary, insane competitor. And that's the way I always saw her when even up until she retired, I always had so much respect for her. And I think that's something that I think all of us as Paralympians strive for is the respect of everyone else to see us as elite athletes and not just as people with disabilities. Did you ever get to meet her or, or tell her that you, you had been sort of hero worshipping her for, for so long? <laughs> no, but I was always in the call room with her. I thought it would be a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could drop her a line now after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you as a role model, Ellen? What, what opportunities have come your way and, and how can you use your influence? I got verified on Instagram a few weeks ago and it was honestly <laughs> such a high. <laughs> it's so sad. That was such a high for me, but it was such a high for me because like when you get that tick, everything you do is more valid. And I felt like I had more power over influencing people's perception of disabilities with that tick. So that's why I was so excited about that. And I get really 
excited when I see like things that my sponsors do like Allianz had a campaign in Ireland where I was on billboards all over the city and all over the country but I was also on the side of the Dublin bus <laughs> and I was like this is so bizarre I'm like where movies should be like I'm in everyone's face but I never wanted it to be me like I never wanted to be that person but someone needed to be that person so it I, it had to be me I'm in such a privileged position with my sport that I do get media attention because of my sport and I have used that to my advantage to kind of get my arm and my body out there because that's what I needed that's why I got so insecure because there was nobody like me to compare myself to so I just want to be that for someone else even if it's not like if they don't have the same arm as me it's seeing someone different seeing someone embrace their difference I do get a little bit of imposter syndrome or like I feel a little bit of a fraud because people see this really strong confident girl on all these billboards or on all these ads or on all social media but at the same time I conditioned myself from such a young age to think that I'm not good enough so even though I I am confident with my body and all I still have a little bit of like work to do with the the mental side of things because it's not a switch you don't just flick it and you learn to think you're the best thing ever and all of this so like I still have my bad days but it's not about my arm sometimes when people are like you're so inspiration how do you do this blah 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 I, I'm always like oh my god I feel like such a liar <laughs> <laughs> yes I love my body and I love my arm but like I still I'm still struggling a little bit but I'm struggling because I struggled from such a young age so that's why I'm like I try and stop it before it happens to other people if people aren't crying already, we're going to make them cry now because there was a young Irish girl called Tate who played a younger version of you in an advert for Alliance. Let's, um, let's listen to that advert now, first of all. And we're just waiting for Ellen Keane. Keep going. One and two. Ellen, go on. No one will stare. Two arms, OK? Ellen, your friends are here. Courage is deciding that if the world is going to stare, then why not give a good reason to? Proud to cover Ellen on all her journeys. Alliance, we cover courage. So Ellen, you were in that advert yourself, of course, but the, <laughs> the, the girl called Tate played you as a child in a kind of flashback. Yeah. sequence of you going to a swimming meet so you met Tate tell us tell us about her and how you've kept in touch with Tate so first of all the reason why that ad kind of happened is because um I'm an Alliance ambassador and I've I've had such a good relationship with Alliance for so many years and I had done my TED talk about my experience of my arm and how I decided to finally show my arm off and the, the guys in Allianz wanted to do something with that and found it very powerful. So they were like, oh, we want to make an ad about it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then they were just talking about how they'd have like a flashback and they'd have a mini me and all of this. And like, as soon as they said mini me, I was like, you're going to get someone with one arm, aren't you? And they were like, oh my God, we didn't even think of that. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's the one thing I want is I want someone with the same arm as me because otherwise, what's the point? I met her for the first time when we were doing a fitting 
um, a few days before the ad was shot and she's from the UK so she's not even Irish so they flew her over and I was talking to her mom like she was quiet her mom was like oh Tate has never met someone like her before and she's being bullied both physically and mentally and emotionally and oh when she said that I was it hurt so much because I I'm I was so lucky I was never bullied as a kid no one ever like picked on me because of my arm they probably picked on me because I was a weird child rather than because <laughs> of my arm um, why was that do you think why, why do you think you avoided um being bullied for for your arm I think it's just where I grew up I think I was just in a really really lovely primary school that can play such a big role in a kid's experience as I said she was bullied and I couldn't believe it because especially physically bullied over her arm was just an awful thing to hear and I had never been shown how to tie my laces I just kind of it's something I was quite stubborn I didn't want any help ever so it was something that I taught myself um I taught myself how to tie my hair up and all of these things and I showed her how to tie her laces she never knew how to tie her laces before and I think Tate was either 12 or 13 when I met her and that was hard to hear that like a a 12 or 13 year old couldn't tie her laces and part of the filming for the ad as well I tie my hair up and the cameraman was like Tate doesn't know how to tie her hair up we're gonna record this now so we can show her and it was just little things like that was just so lovely to be able to do and I don't like taking credit for it I think it's the fact that a company like Allianz and like all of my other sponsors they decide to embrace the difference and they decided to show the world the difference Mm. and involve people with disabilities and when you do that you make such a difference to the community as a whole yeah and and that's something isn't it that the international paralympic committee are trying to do more and more they're not it's not just a sports organization it's not just about organizing these huge sports events it's about changing perceptions of of disabled people generally isn't it but before we move move on from tate we actually do have a a little surprise for you so listen to this oh god Hi Anne, it's Tate, aka Mini You. I just wanted to say that it was really nice meeting you and filming with you in Dublin. You're such an inspiration and a role model to so many people. You told me to never give up. I'm working hard with my football and hopefully I'll play for my country as well someday. There you go. We're, we're, we've all gone now. We're all in bits now. <laughs> but, uh, mini You, I like that. Mini, hi, hi, it's Tate. Mini You, aka Mini You. Oh, <laughs> that's so lovely. We'll, we'll all have to look out for her on the football field. I think in the yeah. in the future. <laughs> yeah, definitely. She'll be playing for England. I read a story recently, and I think it's on your social media about you meeting a nine-year-old girl called Gemma in Australia. She's a little girl with an arm just like yours. She looks up to you. Uh, Tell us about meeting Gemma. That was one of the strangest kind of coincidences ever. So her dad had been following me for a while on Instagram and I went on holidays after World Championships last year to see my friends in Australia. I was staying in Sydney and he lived in Sydney and he messaged me and was like, hi, I see you're in Sydney. Is there any chance that we could arrange a meetup? So we met on Bondi Beach, me and her dad. And then he was like, oh, she's in the water. She doesn't know that you're here. She just lost it. She couldn't speak. She didn't know what to do. 
and it was so it was such a nice feeling it was it was strange as well because she was actually doing a project in school on me at the time and she'd been doing it for a few weeks and I was the first girl with the same arm as her that she'd ever met and she was saying that she loves my Instagram when I'm kind of having a bit of fun with my arm so there's a picture of me in Dubai and there's a big statue of a hand and I just I'm posing with it pretending that it's my hand and she was like I love how you're able to do all that and I was like yeah that's the thing about us like we can we can just have fun with it whereas other people can't and then during lockdown as well her dad messaged me and said that she was started to hide her arm a bit so during lockdown I I actually FaceTimed her and we had a chat and I told her how important it was not to hide her arm because that's what I did I did it from such a young age and it was so hard once I kind of got into that routine of hiding my arm it was very very hard to break out of it and it it was it kind of broke my heart a little bit to know that she was doing it being able to talk her through my experience and why it's important to embrace what makes her different I was like it's it's your little magic thing that no one else has being different seems to be in fashion these days so roll with it (laughs) use it to your advantage I mean, it's in, it's just an incredible story. It's uh, you, you've you've got me there. I'm sort of uh, <laughs> lumping my throat here, but I mean, it's so so good of you to stay in touch. How does it make you feel to think that Gemma and let's face it, lots of other people around the world will be feeling that way towards you? I try not to overthink it too much. I try and just see us as equals because that is what we are, and the only reason why people know who I am or people seem to look up to me as a role model is because I've decided to speak out about it and I've decided to kind of shove my arm in people's faces and make it impossible not to look at. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when it comes to kids reaching out or just wanting to talk, I'll always... I always want to talk to them and I always want to listen. But obviously sport is hard and you have your your good days and your bad days. And it always seems to be when I'm having one of my bad days that I'll have a message in my inbox and it will be from like a little kid or a mom or something like that. And it will be just like a nice little reminder of this is why you're doing it. I know you're breaking through into kind of media work now as well and presenting yourself and, and speaking to you and hearing you now. I can absolutely see you as a, <laughs> as a TV presenter. Why, why is that kind of world important to you? And, and what's the significance, do you think, of having more disabled people on television? It's just so important for representation because disability can happen to anyone at any point in their life. It's the one thing that everyone in the world can can be affected by and it's the one thing that we don't see and we hide shy away from and it's the one thing we look down on and even when it comes to like other having more women in the workplace or different races or things like that it's never let's make things accessible and the more the more you see of something the less of a big deal it is and the less scary it is so it's heartbreaking to know like that when a baby is born without an arm parents are terrified and they're afraid that the kid is going to have a bad life and they're afraid that the kid isn't going to grow up to be successful and that the kid is going to struggle but if it's something that you see all the time then you're not going to be worried about it like it it shouldn't be something to be worried about it's just something you adapt to and you live with and it's something you embrace well you'll achieve what you want to achieve i'm sure ellen i have no doubt about that including adding to your bronze medal from rio but how are you embracing life in your preparations for tokyo 
I realize it's more about enjoying the everyday. And when you enjoy the everyday and you give your all every session, then when it comes to the games, that's when you're you're going to be so chill you're going to enjoy it you're going to perform well because you've embraced every single day on the journey so that's what I'm doing at the moment um I'm so I can't wait I think especially what's happened in the world um the past year it's going to be a games where everyone is just going to be celebrating what the human body can do whether it's the Olympics or the Paralympics it's just going to be such a celebration of life absolutely well I look forward to uh Hopefully trying to tr- meet you in Tokyo, if not before. I um, It sounds like Denny probably wants a walk now, so I think I should probably let you get on with your day. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Ellen, and uh, best of luck with all everything that you're everything that you've got going on. It's uh, you're you're a busy girl. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Ellen Keane, just so natural, so eloquent, and down to earth. And her tales of helping Gemma and Tate, two girls with similar arm impairments as her, were really wonderful. A true role model, even if she modestly considers herself just a normal person. Please do subscribe to this podcast. Give us a rating and a review as well if you're happy to. It's brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and long-standing partner Alliance. Next week's episode is all about happiness and strength. Mental strength, but also physical strength as I talk to Egyptian powerlifter Sharif Osman. Speak then.